Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. I really do appreciate the fact that you tune into this program and you enjoy it and it brings you good information, good insight, hopefully inspiration, education, I hope a little fun, too. Uh, we, we try not to bit get overly serious on this program when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to the subjects that we talk about. Obviously, we have been talking about uh, uh, the, the major issues of, of today that we find ourselves in. We try to lump them into a single category called life. It's just it's what is right now. Uh, and also what is is this program on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. on this fine radio station, broadcasting live at those times or streaming at richarddugan.com. Podcasts are at richarddugan.com and SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and a list. the list goes on. And we thank those who have been extending our reach by uh, reposting to other locales on the Internet. And we also encourage you to go to our guest website. We'll be giving you our guest website shortly so that you yourself can go and find out more about our guest, about the work that they're doing, you know, and uh, continue your transformational evolutionary process, moving closer, ever so much closer to a day and time when you will be not surviving, but thriving. And uh, to that end, as we uh, work our way forward as well, we encourage you, if you can, to support this radio broadcast and podcast uh, financially. We have PayPal and Patreon accounts so that uh, you can do that with uh, security for both you and me. And I appreciate those who have done so already supporting us in the last two years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those who will. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am going to uh, share with you today's guest who is going to share with you, in particular, how to find your voice in this digital age. Finding your voice, find your voice, the secret to talking with, to, <laughs> talking with confidence in all and any situation. She's also the author of Gravitas, uh, Speak with Confidence, Influence, and Authority, I know someone who could use some lessons from our guest and the star qualities sparkle with confidence in all aspects of your life. So basically, her topic is in general getting you out there to do the things that you need to do with the level of confidence and 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 just feeling good about what you're doing, because I'll tell you, I do. And uh, we're going to be talking today with Carolyn. Uh, and is it uh, a goiter? That's right. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Richard. Lovely to be here. I, I, I feel so good when I get the uh, guest's name correct. I am <laughs> so frustrated when I am listening to other interviews and they just, they butcher it. They just, they don't practice beforehand. If I had screwed it up, I would have apologized and said, okay, so how do we pronounce your name uh, so that I can show the kind of respect that is due the guest on the program, or even the guest, the person that I'm just talking to face to face, say in the studio, uh, and I find that 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 seems to me to be one of the biggest bugaboos. And of course, Ellis Island here in the United States didn't help much in that the turn of the 19th to the 20th centuries. Well, I can't pronounce your name, so we're going to change it. You know, it's like really. 
<laughs> but I don't think respect was uh, much of a concern way back then. But you have put together not just these three books, I'm sure workshops and all the fun stuff that helps people to build that level of confidence and authority. And um, so that I can just uh, uh, not so much get it out of the way, but let people know that your website is uh, Carolyn Goiter. That's C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E-G-O-Y-D-E-R.com. And we will be linked to your website as well. Um, but a quick, uh, I want to share something real quick with you and then have you expound on it. I was working for a station back in Phoenix. Um, these gentlemen from Mexico came over uh, to purchase some time late at night to play their Spanish music, their Mexican music and so forth. They came in in nice suit and tie, just, and, and, and my observation was, oh my God, these guys are so arrogant. Well, I had a co-worker who I later found out was actually from Spain, not Mexico. And boy, she was not happy when I said, so what about your Hispanic heritage? <laughs> but she said, that is not arrogance. That's confidence. That's confidence that these men are exuding. And when I looked at it from that perspective, I realized, oh, they really know what they're doing and so on. And, so, and certainly they got help from us to get the equipment started. But they just they exuded that confidence and authority uh, with with the program they were doing. Is that a, a problem we have globally that there are certain segments of society uh, around the world who are really just very confident individuals? They're not being arrogant and we're just misunderstanding. Oh, well, so confidence, the word confidence comes from the Latin word meaning to trust. Trust in yourself. And universally, confidence is about someone having trust in themselves so that they can be open and flexible to others. Now, confidence is really subjective, isn't it? Maybe that was confidence. If you read it as arrogance, perhaps you're partly right. My test of confidence is someone who is so at ease in themselves that they listen, that they're really open to others and they create a great dynamic, a great energy, whether that's on, on Zoom, whether that's on video conference or whether that in normal times is in the room. So confidence is trust in yourself and a quiet mind and the ability to be present to others. And that's really what speaking well is as well. That's the paradox. Mm. How did you get started in this? Uh, did you start out a very shy, demure little girl and and you went to, to finishing school or boarding school or something? <laughs> or, uh, you know, I, and I'm making assumptions there, aren't I? Um, <laughs> I did go to boarding school. I, did, I went to Oxford University and I studied English. Ah. And, okay, and but I, which English? Uh, American English or English English? <laughs> Well, I suppose there was a lot of English English. There wasn't, ma we read Henry James, but there wasn't masses of, of, of US literature. So I think we probably could say it was English English and maybe we were the poorer for it. Mm, but, I don't um, know. I, I sometimes like uh, the way that, especially some of the words in England are pronounced uh, like laboratory. Yeah, <laughs> that's very <laughs> you good. You put the accent in a different spot. It's like, I kind of like that. It's like with my word, the word, my favorite word that I like to talk to people about is they like to use the word a coincidence. And I said, no, I don't use that anymore. Coincidence. 
Ooh, because things yeah. are co they're they're coinciding together. Yes. And there are no accidents, just coincidences. Anyway. Coincidences like it. So continue yes. on with your story about how you because you come across as a very confident, uh, self-assured individual. You're not coming across as arrogant, very friendly, very amenable. Uh, we, we're having a great conversation here. So how, how did that uh, path uh, uh, begin for you? So the first thing to say is I'm an introvert. And really, I kind of probably do have trust in myself these days. But when I started out, I was very nervous. I left university. I went to drama school. I had to walk out on stage and act. I was panicking. I was anxious. I spoke too fast. I felt very self-conscious. They said to me, you have no presence. You're speaking too fast. Your voice is thin. You're not grounded. And so I had a really steep learning curve because I had learned about words being in the brain. You know, I'd been reading lots of books. Mm -hmm. And when you learn to act, you realize that words for performers, and this is performance, isn't it? Is about it's about the body, it's about the breath, it's about being grounded, present, listening. And so I had this massive learning curve. And it was a learning curve about learning to be myself, really, because voice is the expression of our aliveness. And if we're stuck in our brains, we're only expressing our heads. We're not expressing the full system. Hmm. When you began to put together the pieces of this puzzle that we now can we'll, we'll focus on the website of carolinegoiter.com um where where did you begin were the were the books the first outgrowth that you put up there or were you kind of uh doing i don't want to say therapy but you were already working with people to help them to develop their level of confidence and so forth uh their speaking voice uh and i know that that's a big deal today with individuals from from all different sectors, uh, here in the United States, we have we have um, two two main um, groups, shall we say? All right, we have the Black Lives Matter and we have the Me Too movement. And I know that for years, because of the interviews I've been doing over the years, uh, women have been trying to find their voice. And I think uh, they're they pretty much got it. You 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 ladies have. I think you found your voice. I'm listening. I grew up in a family of four sisters and a mother, and my brother and I and my father were in the minority, but we all got along. We listened to one another, showed respect for one another most of the time, <laughs> as, as brothers and sisters will do. Um, and then, of course, we have the Black Lives Matter movement where uh, the, the, the blacks, and by the way, I learned a very important lesson the other day when I was watching a piece of a podcast that one gentleman is putting on. Uh, called Asking the Uncomfortable Questions. And his guest asked one of these uncomfortable questions, what do I call you? And he says, do I call you African-American? Do I call you black? He says, call me black, because not all, bl Africa, not all blacks are African-American. Um, so we, we are finding um, that there are those within the black community who are... Uh, really getting out there and saying, look, I'm, I'm not going to be aggressive and what have you. I just need you to understand. And I'm sitting here going, help me, help me to understand what's going on. Um, and I feel like they are finding their voice and they are finally being heard. I mean, really being heard uh, right. and, and so forth. So what about uh, uh, the different segments of our society? Shall we say who have been marginalized over the, shall we say, centuries? 
who are beginning to join the chorus of these other groups and say, hey, I'm here too, and I want to be recognized. Did you hear that our Supreme Court just recently said that it was illegal to discriminate against someone based upon sexual orientation and so forth? Fine. And, I, and I'm sitting here going, really, this is the 21st century, and we have to have the Supreme Court rule on this? Are you kidding? Anyway, talk to us about people finding their voice. And uh, first of all, how do they know what is the awareness that they get when they realize I'm not being heard? I, I, I don't I don't have a voice right now to I mean, they can talk, obviously, but nobody's listening. So recently I worked with um, a woman in the British Army and she is she's moved very fast up the army in the UK and she's got a, a senior strategic position. And what that means is that she's going to present to the generals in the British army. And she said, I started to notice that when some of the men spoke, the generals listened to them in a completely different way. And she said, so what do I do? Do I change the way I show up? Do I adapt my style? Do I become like them? Or do I, just leave the army because they're not, they're not listening to me. And I, I think there are two aspects to this, isn't there? One is that it is like a choir, right? The choir for the last few thousand years has been mainly basses. Okay. Mm. Because male voices have been heard in a different way. And probably you could say white male voices have been heard. What we're saying is we need the altos and the tenors and the sopranos. You know, we need everybody's voices in the room. That takes the altos and the sopranos and the tenors to, you know, to be confident when they sing, when they speak, they've got to own it. So I said, to her, no, don't, you know, don't leave. Don't try and be them. Act as if you will be heard because that's going to make you own the room in a different way. And then the generals, the people listening also have to be open to hearing the altos and the tenors, you know, not just the basses because ultimately a choir is going to be way more interesting if you've got everybody's voices heard. And I think that's true of us as cultures. We need to start listening to everybody's voices. And it does sound like that's starting to happen, as you say, which is great. Mm -hmm. So listening and speaking. So what you're saying is it's not enough for the individual to learn how to find their voice, but it's the audience, if you will, the listener who also must learn to hear the voice. So there's there has to be teaching on both sides. Is that what I'm hearing? Listening and speaking are part of one flow. Yeah. You know, voices, air molecules vibrating. It hits our ears. It's processed by the brain. It's one flow. So you can't separate voice, speaking and listening. They are the same thing. And you need to educate both sets, both the listener and the speaker. And hmm. good speakers are always good listeners first. Just that is the golden rule. And it's been interesting for me as a white male, because that's what I identify with at, you know, at this point in my life, 60 years. And there have been times when I have been ashamed to be white. I've been ashamed to be male because of the history that, uh, that is behind me. Not of my personal family history per se, but just of white males in general. And the one problem I'm having with those people who are getting sick and tired, as they say, of being accused of being the bad guys, the white males, 
uh, I sit here going, well, have you ever stopped to consider the history and the role that white males have played and that maybe it's time to own that history? Uh, but my wife made a very interesting point also. She said that pretty much every, every race on the planet has been subjugated, has been enslaved in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and uh, so nobody holds the corner <laughs> on, on, on being minimized, if you will, and being abused and being enslaved and so forth. Um, so w- what we're dealing with today in this country in particular, <clears throat> pardon me, is for a 400-year history in this country. Uh, and um, what I'm curious about is, I mean, now, have you grown up? Were you born and raised in England? That's pretty much where you've lived most of your life. Yeah. What do you have any comparative examples to other cultures that maybe you've even visited for a long enough time where you've sort of started to understand that culture and how different it is from the English UK culture that you could uh, speak to some of the dynamics that either help or hinder an individual to uh, finding their voice or is it kind of universal and across the board globally? Oh, that's really interesting. So, you know, I've lived in other cultures and what I think about voice is that voice is a deeply human thing. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. Voice is the same for all of us. It's air coming out of the diaphragm, coming up out of the lungs, pushed out by the diaphragm, hitting the larynx, vibrating in the skull, in the bones of the body. It's the same for everybody. And so to some extent, this goes way beyond culture. But often culture tells people who to listen to. So there is something about first, you have to teach people how to use the instrument. And then as a culture, you've got to be conscious of who who are you listening to and why and what is seen as validated about that particular person that you choose to listen to. And what if you listen to other voices? What depth, what breadth might that give you? Now, I, I think in any culture, we need to think, how can we make sure that we hear all voices? Which voices aren't being heard and why? And how do we bring balance? And I, I think that goes... You know, any country in the world, that's true for. There have been civilizations, not down, not just down through the centuries, but even in our modern times, who have made the transition. And I think the first thought that came to mind was South Africa and the transition from apartheid. Now, now it's not perfect even today, but supposedly it is a, a, a somewhat better than it was. I mean, then that's as, that is un, unfortunately it's an assumption on my part because I haven't really studied it, but I've. I've heard uh, certain people from that uh, part of the world, uh, uh, South, uh, the South African area. I mean, I think about Nelson Mandela and the transformation that he made of that country, not only of that country, but even of himself. And he, if I'm not mistaken, using him as an example, he had a voice as he was growing up his first 25 years. But it wasn't a real constructive voice in the sense that he was more about the violence. Okay. He was more about uh, getting attention for his cause through destruction and disruption and so forth. But then he changed his voice. Am I not? Is that, isn't that true that in prison he made the decision to go down the path that eventually led him uh, to the presidency of South Africa? So 
voices, our, our voice can actually change, can it not, over the course of time if we become aware, uh, more aware of what we're doing with our voice and we want to be more effective and so forth, even if we st- already have that confidence and so forth. But, you know, people aren't really listening to us because, again, we're tearing, tearing things down instead of building things up. And violence is always what you turn to when you feel that words aren't serving you. So violence is a sign that people feel they have no voice. Because if you were able to, if your words were able to do it for you, why would you need violence? Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting reflection. And it's also interesting to think about, I mean, I'm no expert on Mandela, so I hesitate to go too deep into this, but I do know that he had a lot of time in jail to become very self-aware, very present to himself. He used the time to think. And when people are self-aware and present and tuned in to what they bring, they are also self-aware and present to other people. And that's when you can influence, when you are aware and listening and present. So good voices, good influence, it all comes back to self-awareness and you know, emotional intelligence, presence to others, and not being locked in our heads, in our own worldview, stuck in what we think the way things should be, have been. It's, and then that's going to work less and less because the world is changing so fast that it's, if you're stuck, you know, things are going to break. And we have people in positions of authority these days who are in that mode right now. They're in their yeah, own. Yeah, we have them in my country. You know, it's, yeah. So yeah. Much. Uh, yeah, I have to say, <laughs> I have to say that after Donald Trump was elected, um, I'm watching Sky News. I love I love watching Sky News because I get different stories. Unfortunately, yeah. you guys are starting to focus a little too much on what we're doing over here. I'd like to hear more about it's what's get going worse, on. Isn't it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but 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 the first person I saw in England who I'm going, oh my God, they've got a Donald Trump true too was Boris Johnson, and I'm going, you know, how how did did they clone Trump? Or did they clone Johnson? <laughs> I'm not sure which. Good question. It's a very good question. <laughs> but these voices are being heard. But if I'm not mistaken, what's happening? And I, again, I'm not wanting to go down the political road here, but let's just talk about this in, in a general context, that some voices will be heard. They have that charisma. They have that authority. They have that confidence. But unfortunately, it takes them and others who start to buy into what they're selling, if you will, takes them down a road of destruction, if not death. I think of one individual in particular, and that's Jim Jones, who took a bunch of people down to Guyana and almost a thousand people chose to drink the Kool-Aid. They chose to drink it, although there are some... Uh, there's some evidence that some of them were forced at gunpoint. But be that as it may, they also chose to go down there with him. And I'm wondering about when we are listening to people as the listener um, who are, you know, are coming across uh, uh, charismatic and so forth. Uh, how what's how do we evaluate this person and their genuineness? Their honesty, uh, let's just say that um, they're very idealistic. I consider myself to be so. And uh, this is a person that 
yeah, I'm going to follow and or f- vote for and or, you know, read their books. I mean, we've got a lot of people like Wayne Dyer and 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 just bunches of other authors all over the place. And then years later, we get these stories that come out about how terrible they were in parts of their lives, which I sit here and going, yeah, but you got to take it all at face value. Nobody's perfect. But what about that? The listener and, and the the that aspect of um, evaluating not judging or being prejudiced, but being uh, discerning. That's the word I want. Discerning about the voices you're listening to outside of yourself. So here's how I would define the difference between gravitas and charisma. Charisma makes you feel things. Charismatic people are really good at making you feel something. The difference with gravitas is that charisma tends to serve its own ends, its own purpose but gravitas serves a common purpose. So, you know, you can think of someone who's purely charismatic. They're probably, they're often quite narcissistic. They're often quite self-serving. Someone with gravitas tends to serve and they, they tend to be the people who don't make people, they don't take people into a frenzy in the same way that charisma does. You know, I think of Hitler or someone Mm -hmm. that's charismatic power. When he spoke, people went into a complete frenzy. He created a feeling it's not, it's so subjective and you could argue to the ends of the earth about whether he had gravitas or not. But I would say that someone like Martin Luther King had a kind of a different kind of gravitas because it was for a common purpose. What's, the, def- for a- What's the definition of gravitas? Well, in my book, I said, I based it on Aristotle and I said, gravitas is knowledge plus passion plus purpose minus anxiety. So you have a knowledge about a field. It's, it's not, you don't know everything, but you know your field. You have a clear common purpose. You have passion and you show up without a sense of anxiety or self-consciousness. You're able to be present. Hmm. We're talking with uh, Caroline Goiter. CarolineGoiter.com is the website. We encourage you to, to go there and uh, find out more about her as well as uh, at least the three books that we've got. Th- those are the three books that you've written thus far. Yes. All right. In and ten years, I think that's enough. They uh, killed me. <laughs> well, hey, I've been working on one for nineteen, and I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> I'm working on trying to get it published. So you're doing a far better job of getting your voice out there. Find your voice. Uh, it is the secret to talking with confidence in any situation. Also, you can get a copy of Gravitas, Speak with Confidence, Influence, and Authority. And then, of course, there is the Star Qualities, Sparkle with Confidence in All Aspects of Your Life. And all of these books, if I am not mistaken from what I'm reading here, uh, looks like all of them are audible. Uh, uh, They're available for you to listen to. And I have an account there, and I'm going to be picking up a couple. Did you narrate, or did they have someone else narrate for you? I narrated, Oh, wonderful. Get to hear that lovely British voice. <laughs> so oh, you. when you are um, out and about, are you ever, because uh, uh, there's this attitude that's out there, uh, are you ever confronted with someone who says, boy, you're, a, you're an uppity woman. There's another word I would use, but I'm not going to use it. Uh, um, you know, who do you think you are? We've been doing it this way for... 10,000 years and we're not going to change. I say that about the 
economic model that most of the world is operating under and going, uh, you better change it because it's falling apart. And I tell you what, COVID virus is uh, kind of helping to do that, too. I'm, I'm actually glad. A lot of people are scared. I'm excited because it means something new, something different that we haven't done or tried before. So I'm excited. But what about that? Uh, do you do you get confronted from time to time, whether it be in person or on Zoom or uh, on social media? Who do you think you are, you you uppity woman, you? Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, I had a, a lovely coach called Denise Graveline in, in D.C., and she she helped me with the TEDx I did, which has gone on to have seven and a half million views. So she did good, a good job. Yeah. And um, she said sometimes, especially as a woman, when you speak to a big audience, you might get a weird response. And she said sometimes that's just the fact that a woman hasn't been on the stage very much for them, that they haven't really heard many female voices. Now, that's changing. I think, as you say, women are really finding their voices. But I think there's certainly something that you, you sometimes in book reviews as well. When I dared to write a book called Gravitas, there were some book reviews that kind of said, who does she think she is? How dare she? She's not, you know, Churchill or Martin Luther King. And of course that's true. And I'm never going to be Churchill or Martin Luther King, but can I help people to feel more grounded and confident when they speak? Yeah. So yes, I think in some ways it's just a good sign, isn't it? That your ideas are coming up against someone else's worldview and at least they've read it. Yeah. At least they've listened. Well, see, that's the thing. And that's a beautiful thing. I love I've loved pointing this out to people. Uh, let's just say someone picks up a copy of your book with and they've got an axe to grind and they read Find Your Voice. And uh, they would come back and, uh, yeah, I read it. I read it. And they might give me their opinion. I say, you know, the, 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 the strangest thing uh, is that you have just you've done something. Uh, that um, is going to stay with you the rest of your life because now you can't unread it. Now it's in there and it will never leave. And one day, one day, you may come across an experience and some of that stuff from Find Your Voice will come flooding back into your mind. <laughs> and the one beautiful uh, uh, law of the universe that I love, uh, and it's bit me in the butt many times, is once you become aware of something... You can't become unaware of it. No. And it's like once you learn the rules of the game, you can't cheat. Because you've mapped it. You, yeah, it's it's you've mapped system. it. Very good. You've mapped it. I like that. And so that's the beautiful thing about people who might listen, uh, listen to the book. I mean, I've actually wanted to, at least for the understanding, I've wanted to read some of the more controversial political books down through history, uh, especially in the 20th century, uh, from some of the, the dictators that we've had. Just so I can understand, I'm going to put it this way, the stupidity, <laughs> because their civilizations don't exist anymore, because it didn't work. Because too many people wanted their own individual freedoms, and they, many of them have fought back. And there's still people trying, still people trying to subjugate different, uh, different cultures. We're talking with Caroline Goiter, carolinegoiter.com, and of course, uh, in particular, we're talking about Find Your Voice, The Secret to Talking with Confidence in Any Situation. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for New World, and we'll be right back. Tell me your stories, I'll do my best. 
Have I ever lied to you? We're, we're back. I told you we'd be back. It wouldn't be long. Uh, thank you for staying with us. Uh, both, uh, and I, when I say us, I mean myself and uh, Caroline Goiter of carolinegoiter.com and find your voice. Um, when we start, because uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in contact with a number of people, uh, Caroline, who are working, especially women who are working to help women find their voice. And I mean, that's, that seems to be apparent, but it also seems to be uh, something that's really happening. And, and I'm honestly, I'm excited about that. Uh, I would rather have an intelligent conversation with someone uh, who knows something about, you know, or is interested and curious about some of these things that we talk about on this program uh, than a, a yes person uh, and, and so forth. Uh, and so that to me is exciting that, my God, conversations are going to crop up and it's going to be great. But when we are we are talking male to female and we're talking about that dynamic that's existed for centuries, if not millennia. Um, are you having conversations in that regard with people, uh, both men, especially men, but also women in terms of um, uh, initiating conversation about some of the. Uh, hard questions in life, similar to what I was talking about earlier with that one particular podcaster uh, who is actually doing a series on, uh, you know, ask the uncomfortable or hard questions. I think that there's something, there's a, there's a level of listening which allows you to ask tricky questions. And it comes from someone called Otto Sharma. And he talks about four levels of listening. He says, when you're in the first level, you're in download, which is just confirming your existing worldview. Nothing really changes there. In factual confirmation, you confirm or deny what you think. So mm. Trump is good, Trump is bad. You, you, you flip opinions. Mm -hmm. In level three, you empathize with someone else. You really put yourself in their shoes. And that's powerful when you really disagree with someone. In level four, you do what's called generative thinking. You ask, what is trying to happen here? What is emerging in this dynamic that we need to understand? Now, the Darwin said, didn't he, that the, the people who survive are the most flexible, the most able to change. And that is so true, more true than ever right now. The people who do well in this century are going to be the people who flex. Mm -hmm. And so generative listening is where it gets interesting, because then you can ask the incisive question. You can ask someone about their beliefs. What are you believing here that's driving your behavior? What are you seeing that I'm not seeing? What are you motivated by here? And when you understand what someone's believing, what they're motivated by, you can unpick what's happening. We've got, we need to know what we believe in order to unpick what we're doing. You know, that's very interesting that you, you put it that way because I actually went through three phases with Donald Trump. I got sucked in in 2016, September, into the political... Uh, minutia, as I like to call it, took me six months, as I say, to get unsucked. And then the first phase for me was, thank you, teacher, for teaching me how not to behave. The second phase was, I forgive you, but even more, I forgive myself for allowing myself to get drawn into this. And now in the third phase, from a totally humanitarian, compassionate perspective, I now ask the question, what is it that you're so afraid of that you have to behave this way? I'm not asking you to change. 
I want to understand so I can move on with my life and not put any more energy into this. And, and I even did an interview with somebody dealing with uh, uh, patho- uh, um, sociopaths and so forth, narcissists. And a lot of people, uh, this author said, uh, uh, don't seem to understand that there actually are some pros to narcissists, to psychopaths. And that is that they're, mo- that they're driven, okay, to, to accomplish whatever it is that they're, they're going to do. So they have that drive. Now, it may not be in the direction that we want, but that's beside the point. So I finally made it to that third level of just saying, look, man, you have every right to be here just like me. And to do whatever you want to do. And I may or may not like it. But see, I want to get past the liking or not liking uh, exactly. to do the things that I want to do in my life. So I've, I've allowed that to go. And I have to share with you something. When I have watched some of the rallies, the last couple of rallies that he's been at, I was sad. Not for him and not for the people in the, in the, in the gatherings. I was sad for myself because I thought, I don't belong I'm not, I'm not accept, accept, you know, it's one of those uh, 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 um, primal things that we have where we're, we want to be accepted by a group. I mean, I became a Baha'i in uh, 1993, four for a year and a half because they accepted me. It wasn't because I believed in the tenants necessarily, although I really loved them. Um, and, and I was just saddened by the thought that it's not that I want to belong, but, you know, it's always nice to get an invitation, even if you have to turn it down. Right. And it's like and it's that self-awareness, isn't it? It's it's yeah. the more self-aware we become about why we're pulled by someone. What is it that appeals to understand what that's about for us is the yeah. first step to unpicking. And and I've wanted a Yeah. And I'm sure you feel the same way about a prime minister. You want a leader who is leading, who cares, who shows compassion for you, even though they don't know you, but they show compassion through their voice for you as an individual, even though, again, as I said, they don't really know you, but they know that each individual person is listening. And I don't I don't feel that. And it's it's disheartening more than anything else. All the politics aside, it's like, man, it, it would be as if my dad who is 89 years old, just celebrated Father's Day, celebrating his 89th birthday in August, disowned me or said, nah, I don't care anymore. Don't call me. You know, that would really hurt. We need empathy from our leaders massively. Empathy matters more than ever. Yeah. It really does. So that's where I'm at these days with with that subject. Um, Let me ask you about the future. Um, not that, not that I consider you necessarily, uh, the Oracle, although, Hey, if you are, <laughs> I <never> dialed <laughs> into the, I was just going to say, I've dialed into the right zoom uh, channel and we have the Oracle. Her name is I'll you the future. <laughs> Caroline, Caroline Goiter, but I'm curious, uh, Caroline, um, your observations both in the United States, in the UK, but even globally, because there are people around the world who are joining the clamor, if you will, are joining the protests, who are joining the causes. Me Too, whether it's that or Black Lives Matter uh, and so on and so forth. And they're saying, look, it's happening in our country, too. We're with you. We're with you. Um, will Because I'm noticing this now, like, what, three, four, five weeks? We've had protests every single day, but they've been nonviolent. They've just continued to chant just keeping people's minds alive with this thing with with these the the the, the causes 
I know one day that will probably end. Are you seeing any kind of systemic changes, beginning changes there in the UK that you can look to and say, ah, maybe we'll make some progress this time. Maybe this time is that time. Well, I, I mean, I think about the, the platforms that are going to enable change. And we live in an age where it is possible to hear all voices. If you have something to say, for good or for ill, you can get your voice out there on YouTube, on Zoom, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, however. And so in a world where everybody's voices can be heard, I don't see how the centre can hold in old politics. I just don't. I don't see how that can hold. And I think what we're seeing is the center can't hold and that something is fracturing. And I'm an optimist. And I think we've got some serious, you know, to deal with. So I think as humans, we will pull it together. I just don't know when. Brené Brown puts it brilliantly. She said, what we're seeing is Custer's last stand. (laughs) We're We're seeing Custer's last stand for the old system and people go down fighting. Well, I, could I could I also maybe could we also maybe use the the analogy of <clears throat> the Alamo? <laughs> I don't know the history, so I'll be I'll learn. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Alamo was in Texas and uh, the Mexican uh, government came over to try to take the land back. And uh, they stood for I don't know how many days or weeks. And eventually Texas lost the Alamo. That was the one battle that they did lose. Uh, and, um, but I tend to agree with you. Now, what about the other institutions that we would also consider? I mean, we've been talking sort of governmentally, but we've got, uh, uh, educational institutions, religious institutions, economic institutions, uh, and so on and so forth. Even, even corporate institutions. Um, you see that that is, uh, that, that you think that that will transcend the political and governmental uh, uh, realms into these other areas as well to uh, have people open their eyes, become more self-aware uh, that, hey, these, these, they're, they're not serving us. We need something different. I think what we've learned in the last three months is that we need nation state. We need government because as good as the Internet is, we, you know, when a pandemic hits, you have to have leadership. So I think that there's one thing that will happen in our politics around hearing all voices, a a more properly democratic way of doing things, I hope. Mm -hmm. With organisations, it's hard to say, isn't it? I think we're probably seeing, I think Silicon Valley leads the way, doesn't it? So Mm. I don't know if I feel a bit scared by that. It seems that the power base is, is being, you know, fewer and fewer businesses have power. So... Perhaps that's something for government to think about. I, 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 I'm a little bit scared by what's going to happen in terms of tech and corporations unless unless governments do something about it. Well, I remember back in 2008, 2009, here in the United States in particular, <clears throat> I would hear the phrase, we've never been here before. This is this is this is whole, totally new territory. Uh, and yet they used the same old solutions that they'd used before in similar but less severe situations. They used the same solutions. And Einstein said insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So here we are in 2020. We're in the middle of a pandemic. They did something different this time. <laughs> and I was thrilled. 
in spite of the fact that, yes, the businesses were shut down and the economy and the unemployment, and this is all over the world. And I, and I would constantly tell people, look, you need to calm down. It's going to be okay. We've made it through uh, all kinds of stuff over the centuries, and guess what? We're still here, okay? Now, as individuals, I don't know if we'll all make it, but there's a good chance, okay, if we do all of the right things. Uh, Because every time the influenza would fly through the United States, we'd do nothing. Oh, go get your flu shot. And even before there was a flu shot, you know. They kind of sort of told you to stay home, but, you know, and it's this time they told you to stay home this time. And I was fortunate to be in a, an essential field. I can I, I continue to work straight through. I still am. My wife was furloughed for for three months. She's back at work, at least for the time being. And I was absolutely excited and ecstatic over the possibility of opportunities that we didn't even know about. It's you know, we talk about choices and knowledge of those choices. When I say it that way, it's you don't even know what choices you have available to you. And that's why, to me, education is so important and not necessarily formal education. Do you consider your uh, the work that you're doing as part of the, uh, uh, even if it's traditional or untrad- non-traditional, an, uh, the, part of the educational process of the human being? Yes, because with... The human voice, it's something that we don't really learn about at school. Maybe we learn it because we sing or we act. But people don't learn about the instrument of the voice. They don't learn that it's breath and that through speaking, you can you can handle your unconscious nervous system if you know how to pause as a speaker because it affects the kind of in-breath you take in, which slows your your system down. Whereas if I gasp as a speaker and I breathe fast up into the upper chest, that's going to affect my nervous system in a different way. And I'll start to feel nervous and I won't be able to listen and I'll make you feel more nervous. And so the voice is the master key like breath is to the nervous system. And I don't understand why nobody teaches us that when we're six, when we're four. Mm. And I think that if people did teach us that we would be more present we would listen better, we would be less reactive, less defensive, more open to hearing all voices. And I wonder whether there's a reason why they didn't teach us that at school, because maybe they didn't want us to be open to other people. Mm. Well, you know, everybody is getting all antsy about getting out and getting back together and hugging and all of this kind of stuff, which, you know, it was great in its time. (laughs) But right now, right now, I have come up, uh, there was a, I came up with this phrase that follows the statement I heard on the television not too long ago, uh, specifically re- dealing with the United States, because I don't know what the numbers are like in, uh, in, in the UK. Uh, the COVID, uh, the America is finished with the COVID virus, but the COVID virus isn't finished with America, to which, <laughs> to which I add, and so that quote's not mine, but this is, I add... Wash up, mask up, and step back. Yeah. Wash your hands, put on your mask, and step away from this ind- that individual who's closer than six feet or have them step back. And it has been said that if we would just do those three things, we could put this to rest. But I wonder, you know how... The whole purpose of the Revolutionary War was to get out from the the thumbnail of uh, King George, right? 
and uh, this uh, this perceived Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we've got that individuality, and nobody wants to. Nobody wants to go along. Ah, oh, the government's lying to us. It's a fake. It's a, and then all these conspiracy theories. You know, the government released this thing, and oh, it was China to destroy Trump, and it was this and that and the other thing. And I'm going, you know, it really doesn't make any difference where it came from. Right now, we have 120, maybe 130 by this time, dead in this country alone, and it isn't over yet. And there have been uh, the, the the number of positive uh, tests has jumped in the California area, as of our conversation here, two straight days of 5,000 positive tests. Now, if they'd washed their hands regularly, used sanitizer, put, kept their mask on when they were outside and amongst people, which my wife and I do all the time, and stayed six feet apart, maybe it would have been five instead of 5,000. Are you seeing anything along those lines in uh, the UK? And who is who is the voice for the information uh, that is being disseminated to the public there that is trusted? Because this is the biggest problem we have here in the United States is you don't know who to trust. I'm certainly not putting my faith in the government because they're ignoring it. It doesn't exist. Um, so who's who's talking there uh, that that people are actually Saying yeah, okay, all right, fine, we'll do that. And our and your numbers are down, maybe. Our numbers aren't great compared to population. I think you know, with forty plus thousand dead and a much smaller population, I think it's it's pretty bad here, to be honest. Um, there are two things. One is that Boris Johnson had COVID. Yes. So when he speaks, I think he, not you know, not by any design. There is an authority there because he's had it, but classic example of hypocrisy there was a big thing in the uk where one of his advisors broke the lockdown rules and there was no real sanction he got away with it and it was a really good illustration for me of gravitas isn't just about what you say is that's just the, that's the tip of the iceberg you have to back it up with action mm -hmm. and if you say something you need to make sure that people see you do it do as i say not as I Not do. As I do doesn't work. <laughs> so the, the government have lost a lot of authority, and I think as lockdown eases, you know, we we probably all got the same problem that the virus will come back because it's nature, and nature doesn't care about governments or rules mm -hmm. or lockdowns. Or nature just wants everybody to stay home, wash their hands, as you say, put a mask on. Yeah. Uh, is there any group, uh, uh, civil or private, that is speaking out and saying, OK, people wake up, uh, you know, this is what we've got to do. We've got to keep doing this uh, until this is done. Uh, if, if they're not trusting the government, if the trust government is giving them uh, uh, two faced um, comments and what have you, you know, do as I say, not as I do. I think broadly, people do trust government. They lost trust in Boris Johnson and in his advisor. Mm -hmm. And they've lost trust in their ability to organize it, but I don't think they've lost trust in their intention, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. People are very upset that it hasn't been better organized. Let me ask but you something. But I some... don't think they disbelieve the positive intent. Okay. Let me ask you something. And, and you've seen politicians come and go there in, in the UK as well as around the world. And I have uh, been involved with and interviewed uh, a number of politicians over the years. I haven't done it uh, in the last 10 or 15 years just because that's not the focus of this program. 
But some of the politicians I've seen on television, I look at them, I listen to them, and I'm going, how did you get elected? You, you just, it's like you're, you're talking down here and, you know, and you're just not, and you're kind of a whiny voice and, you know, or, or whatever the case might be. They just don't come across as charismatic and yet they got elected. Uh, is that a fluke in the system or, or was there something about them that people, some people, the people that voted for them saw or heard that made them want this person in this office? I mean, I, I, I cause I can't. I can't figure that out. And I, I will say this quite honestly, and I made the mistake of saying this in front of a politician once. I would never go into politics because I have too much integrity. Uh, <laughs> um, but what about that, uh, the, the personality? Because usually you, you've got to have a fairly good size ego, and that would be expected. But you also have to have that charisma and that confidence. And some of these guys, I just don't see it. Or again, gals. <laughs> So confidence, gravitas, charisma, these things are highly subjective. Okay. So the first thing I would say is it you may not see it, but other people might do. But I would agree with you that I think we get the politicians we deserve and it's not looking good for us right now because <laughs> I think we have a, a deficit of people who can really show up with presence and gravitas and yeah. listen be open and not be triggered and defensive. And I think it's partly the tech, which is why I wrote that book, mm -hmm. You Find Your Voice, because I, you know, if I get my phone, mm -hmm. I see people, you know, politicians now are spending a lot of time doing this, scrolling through messages, head down, breath in the upper chest, shoulders up. And if I show up on CNN or, you know, Fox News or whatever, and I'm here, my shoulders are up, my, my ears, my voice is high and shallow, I'm defensive and reactive. No matter how good I am, you're not going to see it. And that's partly that people are not conscious of the impact on things like text neck on their systems. Yeah. So yeah. We need to be, we need to be careful about what these devices are doing to us or we won't show up with power. So you think that tech is actually uh, diminishing our voices, not not the actual tech itself, but the way that we are using it in our our day to day lives is diminishing our voice or diminishing our ability to get our voice out and to be heard. Yeah, it's it's there's a there's a, a scientific condition called screen apnea, which is when we stare at a small screen, we hold our breath. When we hold our breath, that takes us into fight or flight. When I speak with too much adrenaline and cortisol in my system, I speak too fast, I don't listen, I make people feel anxious around me. So it's not the tech's fault, it's our lack of awareness around what the tech is doing to us. Mm. People need awareness and they need to be disciplined about putting it down, get present, get grounded, listen. Be more human, be less iPhone or you know mobile phone. Whatever it no, is, yeah. You know, brand required <laughs> uh, i got an email not long ago from someone who uh, basically said there was a more uh, uh pernicious uh, virus out there than uh, the uh, coronavirus covid19 <clears throat> and it summed up uh, in uh, three phrases ignorance fear and lack of faith and you talked earlier in terms of speaking with authority and confidence about knowing what you're talking about. Now, I would never presume to sit here and say, hey, let's talk nuclear physics. 
I know that, that would be risky because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> join, join the club. Although I do know how to pronounce it. Nuclear, nuclear, not nuclear. Okay. So that's about as far as my education in nuclear physics goes, but that's an important aspect in anything uh, when it comes to disseminating information, getting your point across is you really do need to know what you're talking about. And that's not to say that you have to have a PhD either. There's, there's a nice model which basically says you need to know your circle of expertise and you need to know what happens when you get beyond it. And you need to be honest when you are beyond it, mm -hmm. because otherwise people will see it. They'll hear it. They'll know. And you can be constantly expanding your circle of expertise, and that's a good thing. But we've got to be humble and honest when we get beyond it. So yeah. the nuclear physics conversation, I definitely can't do. <laughs> <clears throat> well, uh, how about astronomy? Uh, pretty limited on that one, too. <laughs> we know My husband's an engineer, and he would be laughing at this point. He'd be like, your scientific education is very, very limited. <laughs> Basically, the, I know there's the sun, the moon, and the stars. Uh, can yeah. we move on? Next <laughs> subject. <somewhere up> there. <laughs> yes. Here in the United States, we have a game show called uh, Jeopardy, and hosted by a gentleman by the name of Alex Trebek. Next question, Alex. Because um, they usually ask a question and then you have to answer it in the form of a question. It's a, a, a really kind of a fun show, and a lot of people love that kind of thing because it's it's eh, sometimes it's useless useless information, but it's kind of fun to play uh, trivial pursuits of a sort. Uh, this has been interesting to to discuss this subject of uh, uh, finding one's voice, especially in this digital age, as you've just described. It's by the way that condition I had not heard of before. I mean, I've heard of a lot of others. I've heard of the the, the crooked neck syndrome. Uh, uh, I don't know if that's screen yeah. neck, I think it is, or tech neck. Um, matter of fact, um, one guy I saw, uh, and I think this was a real story too, uh, he went to the doctor to find out what the problem was because he'd never had this problem before. So the doctor said, get your phone out and show me how you hold it. And so, of course, he showed him. He says, okay, you can do one of two things. Uh, we can do one of two things. Number one is we can do surgery. Sure, we can do surgery to straighten out your neck. Or number two, you can hold your screen up in front of you, <clears throat> straight in front of you horizontally, and that will correct. And it was corrected like within two, three weeks. Exactly. You yeah, know? and it'll help his voice. Yeah. And it'll help his voice as well. So <laughs> there are very simple solutions, some of the problems. And then there's some complicated solutions, too, that we will find. We will find if, if we will listen to one another. Uh, James Redfield talked about that. That we each of us have messages for one another. And it's important for us to share them. But if you d haven't found your voice, uh, Caroline, you know, it doesn't matter what you say. And they're not, if they're not hearing you, then your message goes unheard and unheeded, so to speak. It dies with you. I mean, your message dies with you unless you share it. That's the yeah. fundamental point to all of this. What about the, the level of, um, I don't know if there's a scale in terms of one having their voice scale of 1 to 10 or 1 to 5. I'm curious about uh, <clears throat> the level of uh, voice that you and, let's say, your husband in a, in a close relationship like a, 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 a husband and wife would have in terms of voice. Because some people think that, oh, yeah, I heard uh, the neighbors fighting the other night. Boy, they've got great voice. I don't think that's not voice, I don't think. That's projecting your voice, but that's different. Voice doesn't have to be loud. It's voice is about it's the speaking and listening thing. It's about yeah. being in tune. It's about being in connection with someone. And that might be a loud voice. It might be a quiet voice. The ability 
that we all have to attune to someone and find out the level they need, the tone that they need, the energy. That's what makes us human beings. And that's why the voice is so powerful. That's well, why we don't just send each other emails the whole time. Absolutely. I mean, I certainly do correspond a great deal. And usually the short little bursts, you know, yes, we're confirmed. No, we're not confirmed. No, we do did that. But I do enjoy a phone conversation or Skype or Zoom conversation, even to just confirm an interview or just to have a chat about something as well as doing these interviews. I mean, certainly I would love to have you across the console here sitting in front of the microphone face to face because I know that the energetic dynamic is different, a little bit different. But, you know, I think it's still possible for us to get across the point that we have to uh, we have to find our voice because we have important things to share with one another. And uh, to, to the listeners, I say that as well. Uh, so don't deny yourself the opportunity to find your voice. Whether you go to carolinegoiter.com uh, or not, whether you pick up a copy of Find Your Voice or not, uh, please find a way to be heard. You know, don't, don't do anything... <laughs> That'll put you behind bars because then you're not going to be heard. Uh, do it in such a way that that helps you and helps the people around you. I just think that's kind of the message that you're kind of giving us here, uh, Caroline, on the on the program. That's it. We are what we do to help other people, really. And our voices are the main means for us to do that. So find it, help people make uh, life better. That's, uh, that's why I wrote the book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I um. I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program and to, for sharing your story and, and the work that you're doing. Uh, and uh, I certainly hope that people will look you up. We will be linked to your website, uh, carolinegoiter.com, and uh, encourage people to get a copy of any one of these three wonderful books that I think will help anybody. I have to tell you that I went through uh, uh, an interesting phase back in my early, early days. And we're talking going back to the early 1980s. Uh, it makes me feel a little old. Uh, a woman suggested that I go to, uh, uh, her name is uh, 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 Margaret Pekarik. I know she's since passed on, but uh, she suggested that I go to Toastmasters. Oh, yes. And, yes. And I did for about, I don't know, a year or two. What a, oh, that was so much fun. I, I really loved it because it gave me um, more of that confidence. Uh, practice. Yeah. Practice is everything. Toastmasters is brilliant for practice. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I encourage people, if you know, if you're wanting to, and uh, get involved with a local Toastmasters in your area, or start one for that matter. Uh, Such a great idea! I agree, it's brilliant. Yeah, just do it. I still or have the thing. Yeah, I still have the magazines that they sent me. Uh, haven't read many of them, but I still have them. <laughs> uh, but it was so much. Uh, it was so much fun. What about um, uh, as we wrap this up? Extemporaneous uh, speak now. Is it best if you're trying to get a message across, maybe to have things written down? Or if you know that you know that you know this, just go ahead and improvise? I'm all about signposts. So if you're in your circle of expertise, have five words, five key words that will take you through the talk and visualize, make a picture of each key word. And that if you know what you're talking about and you've thought it through, that will get you through. Mm. But you do have to know what you're talking about. If you don't, then, you know, learn it. Yeah. Uh, I've I've been talking with the local Santa Barbara TED Talk producer here. Um, and uh, 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 Mark Sylvester is his name. 
And I've often thought what because I've watched a lot of TED Talks. I, we have the TED Talk channel on our TV. And I love watching these people, not only listening to them and the message that they're bringing, but the way in which they are able to just flow. And, of course, I find out that sometimes they spend several months prior to the recording uh, just preparing and doing it over and over and over and over again, you know, and and you have to keep it within uh, 18 minutes. That's the one thing about Toastmasters is they have those great little uh, orange, uh, green, orange and red lights that keep you on time. And I thought, boy, if I was to give a TED Talk, what would it be? You know, and then I'm thinking, but do I want to do it under that kind of pressure? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great. Do it. Do how, it. How long did it take for you to get your TED Talk up? I worked with Denise. Um, and it, yeah, it takes three months. Yeah. It's like writing a poem, a TED Talk. It, the, the thing with TED Talks is it looks like you're just having a chat, but it's no, it takes months to get mm. it right and then it you've got to rehearse it and you it, it's got to be just so oh and i can't and, leave this out please talk to us real quickly about the fact that words have power words that words are what change things in this world if we don't use words we use violence and i think we all know which is a better way to go mm. forward Words are everything. Choose the right ones. Make people feel good. Make people connect to what they believe is important. Make people listen to each other. You know, don't take people down a negative road. Yeah. Because that rarely ends well. Caroline Goiter, again, I thank you so much for joining us and for sharing the story. And also, um, when we are able to travel about once again, either A, we'd love to have you come out to Santa Barbara and uh, continue this conversation in person. Or B, uh, I'll jump on a 14, 15-hour flight from LAX uh, with my wife, and we'll come out to the UK on our way to Ireland, which is our totally. uh, our uh, home away from home. Though we've only been there, <laughs> only been there twice in the early 2000s, and we would love to go back and actually move there. I want to live there one day, um, uh, you know. And I've got plenty of th- I've got 40 more years to go. And uh, it would be very exciting to just continue these kinds of conversations again to educate people about finding their voice. Come to London. I will do that. I, a matter of fact, um, we when we flew into uh, Heathrow the first time, we had to take a bus from the terminal to the plane. The second time, and it wasn't that long after. The, the tube was all set up. You jumped on the on the on the subway, if you will, or the tube. And, and it took you where you, there were no more buses. And I thought, wow, this place has really changed. And it was only about a year or two. So it was great. Um, I have three final questions for you before we wrap this up. But I want to remind our listeners that we are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and all that specific time. Streaming live at those times at RichardDugan.com and podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM and in many other locations. And if you can support the work that we are doing here financially, PayPal and Patreon accounts are available for your security as well as mine to keep us moving forward. And uh, so uh, for the final three questions, I feel like Alex Trebek on Jeopardy. <laughs> First question is, who is Kathleen Goiter? Learning. I'm learning. That's who I am. Kathleen, I don't know. I'm Caroline, but you know. Hey. I beg your pardon. <laughs> who is Caroline Goiter? <laughs> who is Caroline Goiter? <laughs> I'm learning. That's who I am. Okay. I'm learning. Number two. 
What is it that you hope to and want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? To help people make change for the better using their voices. Full stop. End of. And finally, what is your life's purpose? To give people an understanding that they have confidence within and that they can find it, that it's already there. They just have to tune in. Well, Caroline Goiter, I thank you so much. People go to carolinegoiter.com to find out more about Find Your Voice, as well as the other two books, uh, uh, Gravitas, as well as The Star Qualities. And again, I thank you for joining us, and I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to love.